At approximately 5.15 p.m. on May 10th in 1967, three boys ages 11, 13, and 14 explore a cave near their house in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri. Brothers Billy Hogue, Joel Hogue, and friend Craig Dow are never seen again. It is now 52 years later. This is their story. Chris, was it all a mirage? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Just a great song. Yeah. I, I think I need to put that on my uh, MP3 player. I would. I mean, I just everybody that's listening now, we're not giving away who's singing the songs anymore, if you've noticed that, because we're going to run a contest. At the end of the season, uh, the first person to submit all the songs by all the people that sang them, okay, on our Facebook page, we're going to give a little weekend getaway to... Hannibal, Missouri. Nice. So if you're out of town, you're going to have to just fly in, but we'll put you up for two nights, and you'll be able to stay in Hannibal, eat some great food at uh, Becky Thatcher's Diner and Mark Twain's famous fried chicken and root beer. The dinette. Yeah, Mark Twain dinette. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So there is something for them to kind of look at. There you go. A little interactive. And the good news is, is that it looks like you made it past Halloween this year. So I, I did. So that's good. It was tough because I've, I've been on a diet for a long time. Oh, no. So I've been eating, I can eat three. I've, I've narrowed this down. I, The minis, right? So uh-huh. Snickers mini, Reese cup is like my favorite candy of all yeah. time. But this Halloween I've been in the Snickers. I've ate three mini Snickers, only 130 calories. Okay. So I get my little fix and I'm able to kind of get through it, Chris. So did you only dress up and go to three houses then? That was it. <laughs> and when I didn't like the candy, it was too high in calorie. I gave it back. Gave it back. I You're just, like, you know, no, the full size Snickers. I can't. We just can't do this. Can't do that. So we hope you guys are enjoying it. Uh, everything's spiking. Uh, episodes are doing well. We are back for episode seven. This is the last part of the dig, we promise. Yep. Until we dig it back up. <laughs> Start with a pun. Terrible. Yeah. Uh, part three um, begins now with uh, your host here, Frankie Campbelletta, and with, with, with me always. Chris Ketters. The Chris Ketters. That's right. Chris Ketters is not singing anymore. No, no. Taking that under advisement not yeah. to sing. The 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 one star reviews, man. Those are tough. I know that last episode, man. You know, I think we left people in like that suspended reality of like, wait a minute, maybe they're not in the caves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I got me thinking. That's for sure. And so. as you as you can see, we're opening up right here with the uh, the new leads, right? Yeah, and we'll step back. Um, we kind of jumped forward a little bit in the last episode, sure. uh, but you know, kind of getting back to the main main storyline. We're we're still about forty hour forty eight hours after um, it happened. This is May twelfth, so we'll jump right in. And do you remember from our actual you know episodes of the timeline for the boys? We never really said, and they never really said uh, when Karis got there that um, 
about Kohler, Mrs. Kohler, about um, Thomas Breedlove. Uh, I believe also um, uh, there's another a couple others that are in there, but they we didn't have that storyline, so we were basing it on the Bramlets and Murphy's Cave and that 4:30 timeline. Well, now the leads are getting there. So Mrs. Kohler and Thomas Breedlove finally came forward with their eyewitness accounts. This happened on May 12th. So Karis and and the interviewers got to to interview them, find out the story, to find out okay, well he was they were last seen at 5:15 p.m. Now, so now we do have that official timeline of exactly who was the last person to see him and what time that was so finally we're there we are we are there and those two episodes you referenced were 1967 parts one and two yes you want to re-listen to those and kind of crash course if you're on one of those long journeys right now and you want to get about two hours worth of podcast you can listen to those two and then catch up right here uh where chris is leaving off with our new leads this is two days after the boys have disappeared Yes. This is May 12th. And there's another new lead, which is really interesting. And this is coming out of John Wingate's book. If you haven't heard of it, it's called The Lost Boys of Hannibal. And it's uh, an interview that he did with a lady called Mary Jo Powell. And I, I found this very interesting. This is not in the report from Karis. Um, and, and you'll find out why, most likely, coming up here in a minute. But on May 9th, Mary Jo was with her two sons and husband on Hannibal's south side collecting rent from a tenant. While her husband was collecting the money, Bill Hogue, Billy Hogue, he approached the car and uh, was talking to Tony and Randy, the two sons of Mary Jo. As Mary Jo listened, Billy explained to Tony and Randy that he and Joey discovered a new cave and wanted them to go with him tomorrow, which was May 10th, to explore it. Billy pointed to the area of Lover's Leap and explained that the bulldozer going through the area broke the dirt off the hillside and revealed a large crack in the hill. He and Joey saw that and it uh, went into it and told them that it opened up to one really big room. Billy then asked Mary Jo if Tony and Randy could go with them tomorrow to see it, and uh, her response wasn't hell no, but uh, her response (laughs) probably was thinking that, um, but her response to Billy was, it's too dangerous. So Mary Jo explained that uh, in the interview that she gave to John Wingate that she tried to explain this to the police officers, and the police officers just weren't interested. Her quote was, they just weren't that interested, and nobody would listen to her story. Once again, you tell... I talk about my skin crawling on this show every time I hear something. You know, not to fault the police department of 1967, right? But the police departments of the day, you necessarily weren't going to academies. You necessarily weren't being certified. You necessarily weren't doing the things that you do today for law enforcement, which we fully support on this podcast and our other podcast. The 1967 cops of the day might have looked at this as like a wild goose chase and this is not what we need any more attention going anywhere else at this point you probably have a lot of professionals on the ground that are searching out all the areas all the new caves and so to add one more to the mix was probably just not seen for me this is gripping evidence and testimony from an eyewitness who's reputable who's an adult who clearly owns property in the area and who told Billy that it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Was this side of the hill ever checked, Chris? That's, we don't know. You know, we'll, and we'll talk about uh, the cutout because they're referring to the Highway 79 cutout area at this point in time. And we'll talk about the extensive research that was done on that. But I'll be honest with you, telling you, 
up front, I don't ever remember reading in the report anywhere where they said, we searched the sides of the hill. It always seemed like it was the road cut base, like the bottom of the hill, and where the actual construction was going on in the holes. So it's very interesting. I don't remember anywhere them saying, we went up to the terrace levels and searched the terraces. This is good on John Wingate's part, though, mm-hmm. to interview Mary Jo and re-bring this back to the surface. He did a good job with that. Like I said, this our podcast is not affiliated with John's book. We have the same name because that's how the story is known. They're the Lost Boys of Hannibal. It's on their placard. It's everything. So we decided to name it something that was very CNSA, very easy. But John does a really great job here of, of the explanation of Mary Jo Powell, who's still alive, mm-hmm. who clearly did an interview in 2017-16 with him, and she remembers it clearly. And that would haunt me too. Yeah. And then you move to the uh, five holes, not three. And this is where <laughs> it gets very intriguing too, because I'm sure our audience at this point is like, how the hell did they not explore this? Well, wait, guys. Yeah. Get get this. So we're talking about the road cut in that area. And I, I didn't mention earlier, but uh, they said that there was three cave openings at the road cuts originally. Well, it comes to find out that during the first stages of the search, the highway department reported that on Wednesday, they, the day that the boys disappeared, there were actually five openings in the road cut, not the three that the searchers from the Mark Twain rescue squad knew about. So there was actually five. This meant that sometime in the afternoon of May 10th, two of the holes had been covered with two crews remaining still at Murphy's cave, Tex Yoakum, Lang Broad is a member of the Middle Mississippi Valley Grotto, and Jerry Vineyard of the Missouri Geological Survey were to locate those fourth and fifth holes. They found the fourth hole real quick. That wasn't a problem. The fifth hole was not as easy to locate, so William Karras assigned Tex Yoakum with the uh, project of finding that hole along with any others in the road cut area. So now we go in this report from... Most of it's been William Karras that we've talked about in the last few episodes. And actually, the last four episodes have come from William Karras' report. Now we switch over to Tex. And Tex, this, is, Tex is a serious player here. Yeah, and he actually submitted his portion of this report to the William Karras report. So what you're going to hear uh, for the next 10 or 15 minutes is going to be from his report in, in that report. So now, going forward with the road cut work, we're looking at Tex Yoakum's report. But just to clarify, to go back one second... The fourth hole was found right away. It was excavated. And nothing was there. Correct. Nothing was there. So now we're on hole five, which was tasked to Tex Yoakum. Mm-hmm. And this is where we're at, the road cut work. Yes. So they started their work on trying to find this fifth hole and any other holes on Sunday, May 14th, which was Mother's Day, by the way. And I'm probably saying it's probably going to be episode 10 or 11. We're going to talk more about Mother's Day, but that's down the road. Uh, So Tex did get to work on the road cut area. He first completed excavation of the large breakdown pile in a section of the cave passage exposed the previous day. I did not understand what a breakdown pile was. Me neither. Um, So I had to do a little research. And what a breakdown pile means is that it was a collapse of a section of the cave so they would come in from above and expose the roof of the cave to search it. So like the clay cave collapsed, they couldn't really get in. So instead what they end up doing is they break it down and they take the top of the cave off. Wow. Yeah. So they did that with uh, uh, one of the sections. There was a large section that they had to do that. They had to do that because uh, it would be necessary to map out these cave systems because it's collapsed. You have to map them out and try to figure out where they go and what exactly those routes go. And if they're collapsed, it's really hard to find out where they're going to go. Exactly. So this, um, 
was done to keep track of the areas, as we mentioned, and as soon as mappers were available, they were assigned to sections of the cave beneath the road cut. The map was completed in relatively quick quick turnaround, and the excavation teams knew ex- precisely where each one of the passages was that was on the road cut. That's important. They knew every single passage on the road cut. They had to have. As they uncovered them, they probably marked the territory of what they needed to do just because of the safety. I mean, this is the highway department. Mm-hmm landslides, holes, uh, things that can open up possibly later in the future. So the minute they opened them is the minute they probably closed them, which is why you have that one, two, three, four, five different holes. So Mm -hmm. this is kind of all going on around the same time. Uh, The breakdown is interesting. So you can actually go in from the top of a cave. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you most likely they're doing it with, with uh, what they, like caterpillars, like bulldozers, and you're ripping the top of it off, which you'll talk about more later. But you're literally ripping it off, taking a backhoe and tearing off the top of it to see what's inside of it. And, and that was the easiest way to do it. I mean, obviously at that time. So, But it's I think the more interesting point to this is that Tex Yoakum says, we mapped all the caves on the road cut. All the caves are mapped. We know where they're at. Man, it just causes so much speculation into thinking, all right, well, you just spent, if you know all this and Murphy's Cave is out, let's just consider Murphy's Cave done. And that's been mapped for years, right? Didn't the army? Not all of it. Um, They did bring in um, the guy that started to map it. I believe they brought him back in. I know if it wasn't him, it was somebody else that finished the mapping. It was, it's a hundred percent mapped. Murphy's Cave is. They're not in Murphy's Cave. Yeah. So that's, then we'll talk about that exactly later. But let's go back to text because uh, on the passage revealed an old cave entrance when they were mapping this out. They found Oof. an old cave entrance and it was uh, what is now called Swan Street. Uh, it's still there today. It's located northwest of Lover's Leap on the hillside of the area that's going up that. You can Google map it. You can see Swan Street right there. They ended up having to take a backhoe and dig out the asphalt on the ground to get to the old entrance to this cave because it was covered up by the road. So they literally cut the road up and then went into the cave to search it. How far is this from where Billy said he was going? Oh, you know, it would be pretty close. Um, I would say within 100 yards. Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that they brought a shovel. <laughs> but it's, it, you. It, there was no way to access the Swan Street cave entrance at that time. But is that possibly part of the same cave system? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And we'll talk about that. So what ends up happening is they go into the hole, they, they examine it, and they actually found the connection to the road cut area. And it was extremely narrow passage. It was a real small area to get through. But they were able to cave. They, they mapped it. They searched the whole area, and they found nothing. Wow. So, yeah, it was able, and it's really interesting that that cave entrance was able to find back to the original cutout area. So that's where we're at with that. So now we go on to the mystery of Stoney's Hole. Yeah, Stoney's Hole is even brought up in Wingate's book. Yes. Uh, it's a the highway foreman approached them one day and reported that a hole suddenly appeared in the highway where the crew was working. This that's kind of an indirect quote uh, from the report from from Texas report. I find it very interesting that it says the foreman approached them one day and reported that a hole suddenly appeared. This means that the road crew was still doing work as they were doing searching. Think about that. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Throw the the highway. Into the yeah. suspects list, buddy. <laughs> I just find it interesting, and you know, you think of timelines and contracts and all that stuff, but yep. 
who would not say, okay, guys, you need to stop working. Obviously, they may have went to a different area, but obviously they're still working in that area because a hole suddenly appeared while they were working one day while the search is going on. The worker, I like your look on there, Frankie. Well, I just because I'm thinking like, well, at this point, the road crew probably heard that the boys went missing in Murphy's cave. That's not affecting them. So they probably just proceeded to do work mm-hmm. until they got, but to the, the rescue squad was already there that night working in that, in that cave area. They were already at the cutout that so night. So we need to confirm if the highway, we need to confirm that statement. Yes. Is yeah. that speculative? But that, <laughs> that's a huge mystery right there. Yeah. Why the hell would they still be working, filling in holes? Yeah. With three boys missing. Yep. Uh, the worker said the hole was five feet deep. Uh, he left the area for a short time. He returned. The hole was gone. It just disappeared. So it filled back in, supposedly. Uh, the worker, guess what his name was? Stony. Stony. It was his name, so they made Stony's hole. He took them to the spot where the searchers began looking for it, and they could not find the hole. So later they took a D9 caterpillar with that ripper we've talked about. It's a big fork on the back of it you put it down in the ground it rips real easy and they cut a swath of 100 foot long by 20 feet wide to bedrock and they found nothing they found nothing two days later the cat was digging along the north face of the road cut hey there's the hole (laughs) they found it (laughs) so yeah so they're really doing their due diligence and just ripping up all the work that these guys had just done yeah um, yeah, we'll get. Yeah, let's. We'll keep going. We'll get into that. Uh, so we'll skip to the next part. The hole full of blood is our next section that we're talking the about. Red liquid. Yes, another incident with a D9 caterpillar as they were ripping rock. It was suddenly signaled to stop. Now, an interesting thing about this is that with these rippers that were going through the area, the the re- the searchers actually assigned people to be on the caterpillars with them so if they saw anything they told the operator to stop immediately and that's what happened in this situation so the observer on the d9 asked tex to come over and when he did that he observed uh, the observer said i'm afraid we may have a hole full of blood here he moved his foot and there it was the hole was filled with a reddish liquid uh, the reddest liquid you ever saw okay Oh. <laughs> well, finally, that. But, but even then, right? You're at that closure standpoint, right? Like, okay, well, maybe this is it. Yeah, exactly. So there were spectators in the area. Tex did not want uh, any incidents to happen, and so uh, he didn't want to make a site. However, he wanted to make sure, find out what the heck the substance was. Somehow, they were able to get out of the area without anyone knowing, taking the substance with them, and. Uh, nor was it ever reported until Karis's report. So nobody nobody knew about this even till like December of that year. So it well past when the search was over. Nobody knew about it. So which gives good credence, but uh to to the these guys. The liquid it proved that it was not blood though. And it ended up being blasting material. Supposedly when you mix water with this blasting material they had that turns a very deep red. So luckily that happened, but uh, Tex also mentioned in his report there were many times when the searchers came across sticks of dynamite, and some even had wires and caps still on them. Uh, it, it, but go back to the um, to the blood part. It's it's very interesting that you know you had the odor that we talked about in the last mm-hmm. episode and how that just spread like wildfire. Right. This is something that nobody knew about 
even that day, even when they found out it wasn't the red, it wasn't blood, it was something else. Nobody, he didn't text us like, we're not telling anybody about this. The difference is if you go to John Wingate and his dad's, he has testimony when he was there, mm-hmm. he remembers smelling it. Good point. Good point. So sensory is something that, like I said, you just never forget that smell. Yeah. Uh, so going back to the dynamite, there they did come across, and there was a lot of areas that they had to dynamite in this in this section. Text recalls one time when a backhoe operator came across three sticks with caps and wires connected. One of the sticks was removed, but it was decided the best thing to do was detonate the remaining two. So they actually had detonation of dynamite during the search process. Another, I, I, that's not a big detail, but it's an interesting detail that they were, they had to blow up the dynamite still while the search was going on. That, and if, you know, the kids were down there, you know, and trying to get out, you don't know what further damage that would have caused down the road. Think about how we talked about last episode, or maybe it was, maybe it was the dig part one was about how it was, was how when the rescue squad went to the cutout that they couldn't even run their vehicles across it because they were afraid that it was going to fall it was going to make the holes like fall apart now you're exploding dynamite in this area two days yeah. afterwards it's just unbalanced it's unstable yeah and you know I, I i guess that's the best way to do it i thought that somebody had coming in i guess setting it off would be the best way but kind of maybe deactivating it or kind of think but yeah. whatever i mean not our call. No, but yeah, but it's interesting that they had to do that. So that pretty much wraps up Texas statement. But I do want to. I loved his conclusion in the report so much, and we what did this that? last episode uh, of just taking it verbatim, and we'll do that again with with Texas because it was really good. Perfect. So here we go. Direct quote from Tex Yoakum's report. To most of us, the search itself became a constant series of blind leads and empty holes. Even now, we can't tell where the boys are, but we can tell you where they are not. In the beginning, we felt we had every chance of finding the boys alive. It was very possible that they were lost or trapped, and we worked desperately knowing what exposure could do to them. This cave system, the 79 Cuts, as well as Murphy's cave system, has been examined as thoroughly as any cave I have ever known. Not once, but many times. Therefore, we can confidently state they were not there. And that's what an exclamatory yes. sentence. And it actually has an exclamation point in the report. <laughs> so that is the statement from Tex Yoakum. You know, is it possible? I mean, I know we have a couple of sections here to go through, but we got time. And I, I just, my inquisitive mind, when I look at that breakdown from Tex Yoakum, who's very pro, mm-hmm. probably should have led the investigation because he was very thorough, uh, re-excavating everything that the road cut had just done. If the highway, let's just say, and this is conjecture, maybe they're involved. Maybe something they did indirectly or directly had it happened, they would have found them. Can you rule out the possibility of a major company on deadlines with union workers, with all these different things, not wanting a scandal, right? Some audience member out there by episode seven is like, well, maybe it was the highway cut. Maybe it was the road crew. Maybe it was a cement company. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of, and how many times have we seen stories like that? Tex Yoakum's statement here, though, is putting everything that he's done in his life, credibility, his experience, but bigger than anything, 1967, reputation. To say that they were not in there, 
that's a huge bold claim that it almost makes you think that maybe they clouded up their own investigation by doing so much digging, so much prodding, and not really thinking about getting back to Betty's comment way back when, how these boys would think. Yeah. Did anybody stop and say, well, that's how we would approach it. How would three boys approach it? And maybe they just made a mess mm-hmm. in and of itself. But, you know, Thursday, May 18th, 5 p.m., Chris, unless you have any rebuttal on well, that. Well, I don't have a rebuttal, but I do want to restate, though, that uh, Tex pretty much says in the, his report that they ripped that whole section up. I mean, they're... And I think the most, if you want to take, besides the statement of we can confidently state they were not there, the other thing is is that I, I think text pretty much proves that there was nowhere for them to be. They literally searched every single cave possibility that was in that road cut. Except we don't know for sure, and there's no nothing that says it about the sides. Going back to Mary Jo's comment. Mm-hmm. The, the, she goes to police. Let's just go back real quick because I have a tendency to, you know, get people thinking. And they're not like, well, what happened? In the beginning of the episode when we mentioned, Mary Jo makes that statement to the police. The question is, because right now, Murphy's Cave, no. Mm-hmm. Mapped, 100%. Road cut. Tex Yoakum, absolutely not. They're not in there. Mm-hmm. Side of the cave, top of Lover's Leap, about 100 yards from that cave entrance that they ripped up. So here's the thing, though. They might not have known exactly where Billy was going, but they were about 100 yards from it. Wouldn't they have somehow came across them had he went in a different way? Um, unless the section, the, the the opening, the big opening that, that Billy found is is completely separate from everything else. Yeah, it could you be know, another level, right? Yeah, that's what, and that's kind of what I have in my mind is that you have this road cut, you have that Swan Street entrance. They're really low. And I'm almost wondering if there's another another like bubble another section that's hmm. maybe 50 feet above where the all this road cut sections at maybe 20 30 40 feet because you know you have to think that you're not thinking in a 2d level here you're thinking in 3d that you have caves you know and even in murphy's cave there's 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 sections below there was a, a report, remember, we talked about a long time ago in the episode with like about 10 or 12 years before there was two brothers or like, that got lost in there. Yep. There was one section in there where he was talking about that he looked down and there was a crack and he they like shined their light in there and they couldn't see the bottom of it. So that goes to tell you, again, 3D, there, there could be stuff above or below. So that's where I'm really kind of hitting at is were they just thinking in a two-dimensional level and not thinking there could be stuff at other levels? Different chambers. Yeah. Something to think about. Hopefully, and that's hopefully our investigation as we go along and may answer that question. Uh, but yeah, let's go on to May 18th. And May 18th was um, after 150 cavers searched 247 caves, 247 caves in Hannibal, uh, for eight straight days, on May 18th, William Karras released a statement to the city leaders of Hannibal announcing that the search would end at 5 p.m. The mayor, Harry Musgrove, he said that he would keep the Mark Twain Emergency Squad, Civil Defense, Auxiliary Police, Red Cross, Salvation Army, and others on standby if they would be needed. Uh, I'm going to stop right there. Last episode, we were talking about... Um, odor? Odor. 
Mm-hmm. And this is a good point to kind of come back to that. I had to do some searching because that odor time frame looked like it was about May 20th. So it was after Karis officially ended the search. And I got a little confused, a little concerned that the timeline and the time frame wasn't going to work. But then I realized, and it makes sense now, is that Karis was knew that the troublemaker was a troublemaker and that he wasn't going to take a lot of clout from him. But the Mark Twain squad all of a sudden decided they were going to excavate the area. Karis is in charge. I would think Karis would say, we're not excavating the area if he was there. So what I'm trying to say is that Mark Twain Emergency Squad was working off their own agenda by that point in time. So it would make sense for that time frame to work. So May 20th was when the smell odor came about, but Karis already left it by the 19th. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. Yeah. But it's interesting that you did bring that up, and I like that you did. Because he might have stopped, but they didn't stop. No. Not until June at some point. Just that last push, you know, Chris, to cover all the ground above and below. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of sad. You know, you want some kind of closure for the families at this point, but that just didn't come. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Karis did have some other information that he did pass along uh, right as the search was ending, one of those pieces of information was kind of interesting. They found a homemade ladder in the Hoag's basement as they were searching. So they quickly saw that there was some clay substance at the bottom of the ladder. So they did have that tested, found out that the ladder was access, uh, was used to access the road cut at some point in time. The clay matched up. So that's pretty an interesting fact. But they didn't need a ladder that day on May 10th. But they've used the ladder before. It's kind of a little interesting tidbit of information that cares, which is weird that cares passes it along. He's like, Oh, but you know, I'm leaving, but Hey, we found a ladder, <laughs> but yeah. So that's, that but the ladder was found in the basement. The ladder was found in the basement okay. of the Hoag's building. Yeah. Hoag's house. Uh, Karis had a few cavers that did stay around from the Hondo rescue team, and uh, they were there for a few days in case any new leads developed. We also want to point out that in John Wingate's book, The Lost Boys of Hannibal, another reason for ending the search was to do about the caves themselves. Tex reported that uh, at one point in time, himself and three others barely escaped a collapse as they exited Murphy's cave one day. So that was one issue, and that was due to the caves being open for so long. They were starting to dry out, so you started to have this clay that started falling. And so that became a big issue at at that point in time. Probably something the boys wouldn't have faced, though. Not at that point in time, I don't think. It was also reported that all the digging that could be done was done at the road cut. And and we kind of hit that a little bit earlier was that they ripped the whole place up. There there was no place that they could have been. So, so that was done. So that kind of checkmarked that off for Karis. And the other issue that they came across was that at the road cut, they dug as far as they could. Now here's an interesting thought too, going to the hillside approach. Okay. Who owned it? Because there is a talk that, Going beyond the state right away re- require permissions from the landowners, and so they'd have to go to the private property owners and ask for permission to cut that up. It makes me wonder if that side had some sort of private ownership and they couldn't get to it. And why was that guy not letting them on? But on the flip side of that, you already had excavation of that area because they had to do that because of the road cut. So they were already there, but... I don't know. It's an interesting thought. It's, it is. The yeah. chamber theory still holds true there. It holds water. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Even though they got into it from yeah. the Swan Street. 
and it could have created some issue of why they couldn't if there was some sort of of cavern there they couldn't get to it there that could have been an explanation why we move on Karis he departs Hannibal May 19th that's the day after he gives the letter he goes back to DC the Hogue family uh, asked for William to return on May 26th which was a Friday the reason being is because they thought that maybe if they brought in a compact metal detector and went into some of these areas they might be able to find kind of remnants of that shovel that they were talking about that's the thing we haven't pointed out in a while they never found any evidence the boys were ever in these road cut caves in the Murphy's cave or the 247 other caves they searched We've never found a bit of evidence that they were even there. No. He goes about, and there's one point in the in the report where it even says, like, they, we could never, we didn't find a button. We didn't find clothes. We, we found nothing. Um, so that's, it's interesting. But um, they, uh, when they did make the return on May 26th, they explored all the available caves and all the members of the SSA came back. Another 100 local volunteers came back again to search the hills around the area in the last-ditch effort to find any of those clues. Finally, uh, after two days at 4.30 p.m. on Sunday, May 28th, the second search was officially called with no new evidence of the boys found. As you mentioned, though, there was some additional looking, but it wasn't to the extent. So you're looking 16 days after they went missing. They officially ended the search, uh, but there were still some people that were kind of searching on the side. So the one last thing we want to bring up, because I think this is really interesting, and and we'll post a a copy of this on our gallery and on our Facebook page, but um, on Wednesday, May 31st, State Representative Harold Volkmer introduced House Resolution 231, which was approved. The resolution gave condolences to the Hogue and Dow families and thanked all the searchers and volunteers, and it created the official announcement that the search for the three boys had ended. Uh, the resolution was sent to both families, and at last check, the resolution is still on the wall at the City Hall in Hannibal. And that is it. So a lot to dissect there, Chris, on the things that we had just discussed. As, as we've told you from the start, and if you were familiar with the case, if you lived through the case, now's your opportunity, now's your time. We've been talking about it for weeks now. Get on that Facebook page. Go to the discussion group. Add yourself. We'll approve you as fast as we see it come in. And post your theories. Yeah. Also, we're getting to that stage in in our investigation where we're going to start talking to the people that were there at that point in time. And if you know somebody that maybe it's a an uncle or aunts or a relative or a friend that that may have been there at that point in time, let us know on our page. Um, we'd love to find out and talk to those people that had those background stories and, and help us get to the next steps in our investigation. Or if you're that person. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you were there and you remember the scene of events, a lot of times writers come in and they write a book and they try to do justice to the family. And that's what I think, and I'll always believe that that was Wingate's hope with the first book is to kind of put some closure, put some ender, get guys like me and Chris to come out and be like, all right, we're, maybe there's more to this. Let's try to open up the channels. So so the things that in that discussion group that you can discuss is this. If you're one of those people like Chris says, it helped us greatly to kind of see what your thoughts of the day were, how things really transpired, how they played out. Unfortunately, we can't conjure the dead like Tex Yoakum or William Karras for that matter, but we can see that second hand, the siblings, the descendants, right? If you guys are out there, and these were your fathers, these were your mothers, these were your uncles, 
and you remember the stories. We'd love to hear from you. We cannot guarantee you that you will be a guest on the pod show. We just want to make sure that and make that clear. But if the story is good enough and there's enough sticking evidence to it, we will absolutely do a round of series. We'll go to Hannibal. Chris is 20 minutes from it. I'm about an hour and a half. We'll come up to Hannibal. We'll set up some interviews, and we'll go through them. And if you make that list, you'll be on the show with us. We'll bring all our equipment with us. And so just something to think about. As we uh, close here, unless you want to add anything, Chris? I, you know, we've done three episodes uh, on just the dig. If you want to take anything from these three episodes, I would take just this one thing. Tex Yoakum and William Karras both say in writing they are not in the cave. Also, the Dow family. Yeah, great point. We didn't bring that up at all. Yeah. The Dow family come out and say, I don't think they were ever in the caves. Yeah. So Billy and Joey and Craig might not be in the caves but they are somewhere they are somewhere and that is the pursuit that we have and we have a lot of fire in our bellies right now to kind of find them and wherever it leads us right now is the search area hannibal is it in somebody like the mystery man or the you know the troublemaker is it somebody new in the upcoming episodes of hannibal me and chris take a deep dive into serial killers condolence letters and the life of William Karras. There's a funny story about William Karras right before the Hannibal incident. There's another cave. There's another boy. And we'll let you know what the results of that was as well. From all of us here at the Lost Boys of Hannibal, this is Frankie Campbelletta. I'm Chris Ketters. We'll be seeing you. <laughs>